when we take our pain to God and struggle well to discover his truths in the context of our deep questions, he gives us the beauty of his presence and we are transformed by the revelation that accompanies his presence. Truth shows up every time God shows up and we don't have to wait for the spirit to move. We can invite him in and initiate an intimate exchange. God honors our authentic struggle because he knows that it takes courage to be transparent with him to step beyond our human understanding and experiences and accept his invitation into intimacy. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. I am so glad that you're here today because it could mean that we are a lot alike and that we struggle with letting go of guilt and shame. It does the heart good, at least it does my heart good, to know that I'm not the only one struggling with this. So I wanted to share this sweet, I want to say revelation, but it's not like I didn't know this. Maybe more like a sweet reminder that the Lord gave me. Because the truth of what I know sank in a little deeper into my heart and it broke off some pride that I had about forgiveness. And most people immediately think about forgiving others, but this was forgiveness for myself. I almost want to ask you to listen to this episode at a time when things are quiet and you're in a personal space so that you can actively respond to what I share. But I know that everyone's life is busy. So whether you listen now and engage the heart of God or whether you use my suggestion later to process with God, because I'm hoping to create not an atmosphere, but an opportunity for you to hear God's voice. Because I'm thinking that you're like me and that you already know the truth of God's forgiveness, and yet we still beat ourselves up with regret. So there is some value in digging a little deeper or lingering a little longer with some focused concentration to discover some freedom when it comes to forgiving ourselves. So that quiet space is not mandatory because I was driving down the road when God spoke into my spirit. And the sweetness of the Lord had me in tears. I don't want anything to happen to you should you be driving. So maybe pull over if the love of the Lord just overcomes you in that sweet way. Just be safe, I guess is my point. What I have to share today will keep pointing us back to the cross and something that you might feel is a little bit overdone. Not um, overdone with the reverence that we have for the cross, but possibly overdone with regard to how familiar you are with the message of the cross. But stay with me, please, because I can't go where I want to take us without going to the cross. And to be honest, as Christians, it's always about the cross. It is the core of our faith. It's what makes our faith different. The fact that we have a relationship with the living God 
alive, active, engaged. We can know our God and hear his voice. And there is a potential that some parts of what I'm going to delve into might feel a little abrasive because when God revealed my pride to me in the context of forgiving myself, I hadn't thought of it as pride. And I am well aware that when people get too close to the things that we are sensitive about, it feels judgmental. But when God exposes us, he does it in love and he's inviting us into deeper relationship where trust is matured. So that is why I will be pointing you to God to have your conversation with him. I want him to reveal what he wants to set you free from. My goal is not to add condemnation to this conversation. That is Satan's specialty. God convicts, but he never condemns. That is two different things. I want this conversation to be done in the same gentle, kind way that God did it for me. He didn't call me out to embarrass me. He gently exposed my pride in order to set me free from it. It's times like that when he takes us back to the cross, not to harm us, but to heal us. So please keep that in mind when I talk about the cross in a couple of different ways as we move forward. I'm going to prompt you with, and I guess it could, well, I could call it a an exercise. And it's in the context of when the devil tries to drag us back to a place that reminds us of our guilt and shame and regret. And I've worked through a lot of childhood trauma. I think everybody's pretty clear on the fact that our family of origin sets the pace for our adult life. And so it impacts our decisions. And those experiences help craft the lens that we see the world and people through. We make a lot of assumptions based on our experiences, but our experiences are limited. So it's not a full understanding. So now we're dealing with lies that we believe, and it all creates the value system that we live by. And because no family, no person, no relationship is perfect and sinless, this gives Satan plenty of opportunity to try and take us back to painful memories or experiences. We can all find ourselves in these familiar places of defeating thoughts because Satan has his successful patterns that he runs on us to steal the truth of God's word because the truth is where we find freedom. You know Satan doesn't want us to have that. Satan wants to kill our hope, our faith, our love, relationships, you name it. If it's anything good, if God has said it is good, Satan wants to destroy it. He wants to kill it and at the very least destroy us from the inside out. So in times when a situation activates one of our coping skills or one of our self-protection methods, let that be an instant signal for us that God wants to engage our heart about what we're feeling. He'd love to hear your heart and be given the opportunity to speak his truth into whatever it is we're believing to be true. In moments like that, meet him at the cross, the place where he won the full victory over all of life's failures and brokenness. The things that primarily cause us guilt and shame are structured around something that we've done, that we're responsible for. Our actions, our decisions, our choices have brought us some shame and regret over our years. If we've repented for our sins, then we can have assurance that we're forgiven because of the cross. And yet we play the shameful memory of our actions over and over in our mind and in our heart. And it's in this context, forgiven yet unable to let go, that I want to create an opportunity for you to take a fresh look at the cross and reconsider something about God's heart for you. And real quick, allow me to take a detour because 
I don't want to overlook this aspect of guilt and shame. I'm not referring to times when someone has violated or victimized you. If you're living with guilt and shame because you feel that what happened to you is somehow your fault, this message does not apply to your situation. I'm talking about choices that we make and are solely responsible for. If you find yourself dealing with guilt and shame over something someone did to you, there is a measure of trauma healing that needs to take place because you're not responsible for the actions of another person. You can't own someone someone else's choices. While you're not responsible for what happened to you, if there's any responsibility to be had on your part, it would be taking responsibility to flip the script on Satan. And that is by making every effort to find the healing that you need. Make a life giving decision to get what you need. And don't stop until you get it. And just so I don't drop you off cold in the middle of this episode, if you have a few minutes, disengage from your immediate to-do list and recline in the Lord. Rest with him. Just receive from him. Ask him, Lord, what step do you want me to take next so I can process the guilt and the shame that I feel? Or who do you, who do I need to talk to? about finding healing from these thoughts that are killing me on the inside. And I can also put some links in the show notes for a few past episodes. And in a couple of weeks, there's another one coming out on October 20th. They all take a look at the various healing ministries available to believers. So the previous ones, my guest Eileen Love and I talk about emotion code healing. And I broke that down into two episodes, part one and part two. And there's an episode on the deliverance ministry healing by Karen King or with Karen King. The episode on October 20th is on the healing prayer ministry with, with Frank Meadows. So remember to come back on or after the 20th to find that one. So back to overcoming the guilt and shame that is based on our decisions and choices, and specifically the situation where we've repented for our sins, but we are not able to forgive ourselves. So here's a suggestion on how to engage the Lord. Find a place where you can be real with God. Intentionally invite him into your space. Ask him to protect the conversation that you'll be having with him. So he'll command his army to position themselves in the atmosphere so that you can say whatever is on your heart. God is going to protect your vulnerability. He never asks for a perfect conversation. He asks for a genuine one. So once you've intentionally invited God into your space and he has secured the atmosphere, I want you to bring to the forefront of your mind the thing that taunts you with guilt and shame. Expose it. Speak it to the Lord. Say something along the lines, Father, every time this thing, and tell him what the thing is, not because he doesn't know what it is, but he will only work on what you're willing to give him. He will not force anything from you or on you. So you could say, Father, every time this comes to mind, I block it out, or I feel disgusted, or whatever it is you feel, think, or believe, talk to God. Today could possibly be the first time that you've actually verbalized it. Maybe your shame and regret keeps you from talking about that thing that has left your heart battered and ragged and exhausted, but you think about it. Your internal dialogue beats you up over it when it surfaces. And maybe you've been talking with God about it, but you keep returning to it, like you're still chained to it, feeling like you have no control over it, no voice about it, no freedom from it. You just feel helpless to change it or make a difference. You did what you did, or maybe you didn't do what you should have done. You said what you said, or maybe you said nothing, and you feel that you should have said something. And now you're left with the emotional baggage, potentially physical ailments, not to mention the mental battle. 
And the good news, all that has the potential to change if you're willing to be transparent with the Lord in the safety of the space that he's protecting you in. Remember in Genesis 32, when God asks Jacob, what is your name? It was not that God didn't know Jacob's name, but Jacob had a lot of trauma attached to his name. In biblical times, a person's name was part of their identity. Jacob's name means deceiver, and Jacob lived up to that. As a matter of fact, the reason Jacob is struggling with God in this verse is because he was getting ready to cross paths with his twin brother Esau. And Jacob was responsible for not only stealing Esau's birthright, but Jacob also stole the final blessing from their father that rightfully belonged to Esau. Jacob initially reaches out to Esau in an attempt to make peace with his brother. In response, he receives word that Esau is headed his way with 400 men in tow. So now Jacob has come to God scared to death for his life, and God asks him, what is your name? It might seem like a strange question in such a desperate situation. God wasn't trying to shame Jacob. God was inviting Jacob into transparency, to be truthful with him. But why, you might ask? Because change only happens when we expose our fear, our guilt, our shame to not just anyone, but expose it to the one who defeated it, the one who can make a difference in it, the one who can turn it for our good. Left in the dark, bouncing off of our head and our heart and our body, it only becomes bigger and bigger in our mind and our emotions. And I can't say this enough. When God calls us out of the dark places of our mind, he's not trying to expose us for the purpose of embarrassment or to beat us down, reminding us who the almighty God is. Without authentic transparency, we can't connect. We can't connect to people. We can't connect to God. We'll have a surface relationship at best. And let me say this really quick. Not everyone is trustworthy with our pain. So you should guard your heart in this area. But the God of the Holy Bible wants real, life-giving, life-breathing relationship with us. We can't change what we don't acknowledge. Change only happens when we expose our fears to the origin of truth, the fountainhead of truth. Nothing stands against God's truth. Because God will not push himself on us, he was inviting Jacob into deeper relationship. He was saying, son, will you get real with me about what you're feeling and experiencing? Will you have the courage to expose your fear to me so the thing you keep struggling with, that thing you keep running from, we can put it on the table, we can talk about it, and we can work it, work through it together? And Jesus says to us, daughter, will you give me that thing? Will you trust me with your pain? Daughter, do you believe that I love you and that I'm never going to forsake you? And I have good things to give you in exchange for your nightmares. When we take our pain to God and struggle well to discover his truths in the context of our deep questions, he gives us the beauty of his presence and we are transformed by the revelation that accompanies his presence. Truth shows up every time God shows up and we don't have to wait for the spirit to move. We can invite him in and initiate an intimate exchange. God honors our authentic struggle because he knows that it takes courage to be transparent with him to step beyond our human understanding and experiences and accept his invitation into intimacy. So you've invited God into your space and he's taken authority over the atmosphere. You've brought that thing into the light of his presence and you're letting anxiety flow from your mouth, which brings a measure of relief to your mind and to your body. I want you to picture God with you. He is kind and he is caring. Maybe he's holding your hands. 
or looking into your eyes with gentle affection. Maybe he's sitting at the table with you, but I can almost guarantee you this. Well, I say almost because he'll never violate your space or your fears. But if he's sitting at the table with you, more than likely he's sitting next to you and he's got his arm around you. In the safety and security of God, continue to purge your pain as long as you need to. Let him know how you feel. What is your worst fear, your worst nightmare about that thing? Tell him why you feel guilt and shame or whatever emotion it is that you feel. Ask him where it was when that happened. He's never left you, so he was present when you were sinning. He's not afraid of anything you share. You won't scare him off. He won't reject you. This space of transparency and pain all tangled together in what can feel like a terrifying mess, this is his specialty, and I'll tell you why. He doesn't extravagantly attend to us knowing that he will heal us. He's drawing us into healing he's already provided. Not that he's decided to now alleviate your guilt in that moment, but because you pursued him in this context, it was engaged and therefore applied in that moment. It was already purchased on the cross. You just made it personal. Whatever you admit, confess or reveal, all the emotion, the regret, the shame, it doesn't have to be pretty or nice or even godly because real pain, and I know this, deep pain is messy. But when you've poured it all out and you've come to the end of yourself, I want you to hear your father's voice. He's calm. He's soft-spoken. He's loving. And he's saying, my precious daughter, I'll take that. And I'll take that and that too. Give me that one. Give it all to me. Let it go. I've already settled these things. Let me remind you. Let Jesus lead you to the cross. Envision Christ scooping up all the emotion that you were willing to expose. And I want you to watch him lay your actions, your choices, your sins onto his heart and willingly lay himself on the wooden beams fashioned into a cross. And bear with me here. This is the familiar part that may feel a little overdone. But this time, make it personal. See the Roman soldiers drive an iron peg through his left hand and an iron peg through his right hand. He's not fighting back. And then another iron peg through his feet. Watch as they hoist the pole into the air and drop the foot of the cross down into that hole in the ground. It hits hard and the iron pegs tear at his flesh. They'll pierce his side with a spear and the final drops of his atoning blood along with water, the living water of life, will spill onto the ground. I'm not reminding you of this historical account because I want you to feel sorry for him. It's not about pity. Jesus was not victimized in the manner of the Roman soldiers taking his life. He willingly laid down his life. And I'm not telling you this to compound any guilt or shame because the truth is we have no authority, no input, not even a point of reference with regard to God's plan on what the payment for sin will be and Jesus' agreement on how it will be settled. I'm reminding you of the cross because it's always about the cross. This question may still be lingering in the air. How do we move from the knowledge of forgiveness to embracing this as truth in our life? How do we make this our core belief and understanding so that we operate and do life from the place of being forgiven? How do we make the leap from knowing in our head that we're forgiven to actually forgiving ourselves? Maybe our inability to forgive ourselves is twisted up with the cross. And it's the reason why we won't let ourselves off the hook. Because the truth is, 
it should have been me up up on that cross. It should have been you paying for what we've done. That was our burden, our guilt, our shame, our choices, our actions. When it comes to realistically applying forgiveness, there is a portion of the process when we apply God's truth. Every time guilt and shame comes up in our mind, we interrupt the thought with truth, not allowing our minds to start running wild. And while that can seem robotic, God's truth overwhelms every lie and is very effective. The point of forgiveness that I'm trying to examine are the times when we're checking all the Christian boxes of what makes a good Christian so that our good outweighs our bad, or how to do the right things. We're praying, we're fasting, we're in church every Sunday so that God will supernaturally change the way we feel. I don't want to deny the practical part of applying God's word to our life, but I want to dig down into this pride part. Could it be that we've put ourselves on the cross? Let's say we have. And yet we're still struggling to extend forgiveness to ourselves. On the one hand, we can't deny the truth of our guilt. And on the other hand, somewhere down to the core of our DNA, we also acknowledge that we are grossly underqualified. And that is putting it lightly to carry the weight of the cross. Whatever the reason is, I do know that pride can blind us. It did me. If we don't humble our hearts, we will find ourselves on the hamster wheel of guilt, shame, forgiveness, guilt, shame, forgiveness. Feels like a rat race, but that's the world's value system. God's value system, it's the intersection where God's truth and provision meets man's sin and human will. I'm reminded of a story that's been around for as long as I can remember, so you probably know about it too. It's about the man who worked at a bridge with the railroad tracks across it, and he was responsible for opening and shutting the bridge for both the boats and the train. He had taken his little boy to work one day, and the youngster was playing on the tracks. And to the father's surprise, a train was approaching faster than he could get to his son. But if he closed the bridge, lowering the train tracks, his son would be crushed. I'm not sure if this is a true story or not, but it goes on to say that the man made the excruciatingly heart-shattering decision to save all the people and their families that were on the train, and he lowered the tracks, crushing his little boy. The people on that train would go on living their life, never knowing what the father sacrificed, nor what the precious son had afforded them. I often overlay that onto God's fatherly heart because some believers will never grasp the fullness of freedom that's been paid for them. Surely God's heart must have broken because in the sin payment transaction, God turned his face away from his beloved son. Full payment for sin, the kind that saves us, translates to God the Father being separated from his son Jesus. Some believers will go on living their life entangled in shame and regret, never embracing what God ordained and what the blood of the son afforded them. They'll maintain a distance between their head knowledge that God had a plan to pay their debt of sin and yet never embrace it in their heart, what the precious son afforded them with his blood. This whole message, this episode started when I was in my car, driving down the road, talking with God. The image of Christ on the cross making the just and final payment for my sin came to my mind. And I've seen this picture countless times in books and all kinds of preaching material. This time, I saw it through the eyes, or I, through the eyes of intimacy. I, I saw the intimacy of what Jesus was doing for me. And it softened my heart in a different way. The kindness of Jesus overwhelmed me. Romans 2, 4 says, or do you show contempt 
for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. What had me weeping was being overwhelmed with the goodness and kindness of God, even though I was in a place of pride, despising the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and I wasn't letting his work on the cross be enough. I was making it about me. And I would not have made the direct connection with that way of thinking. Nonetheless, it was playing out in my life, in my thought life. And when I saw how precious the Lord is to me, even though I looked upon the cross with contempt, my heart became overwhelmed. If Jesus' blood satisfied my sovereign, holy God, why was I being prideful, still making it about me? God hasn't abandoned us at Friday on the cross. He gave us the Sunday resurrection. Our God is alive. Jesus is alive. Living, breathing, fresh perspectives, new beginnings, the God of do-overs. That's the power of the blood. I've said a lot to bring us to this one point. It's time to change our vision of the cross, our self-imposed definition of what pays our debt. If we're still in a stranglehold by our past, I want to know. When you look up at the cross, do you see Jesus on it or is it empty? Do you see Jesus's work finished or unfinished? If we haven't allowed the blood to pay our debt, we're as good as dead men or women. We're physically alive, but we're mentally, emotionally six feet under. And we'll stay stuck in that type of mental grave until we soften our hearts Humbly admit that we're not capable of paying the debt. Not now, not at our last breath, and not any time in between. Let's take ourselves off the cross. It's not about us. Let's face it. We cannot pay for what we've done or not done. We cannot fix what we did or did not say. If you agree with the blood of Jesus and his finished work on the cross, you've been acquitted. The final words of Christ on the cross apply to us. It is finished. Tell your mind you're free. Tell your heart you're free and tell your body you're free. We don't have to wait for heaven to live in peace and joy and freedom. Give God, give Jesus your praise and gratitude. Take a moment to let him embrace you with his presence. Soften your heart toward his love and then do him the best honor of all. Let the world see God in you. So get out there and live loved and thrive. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.